Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. So when you make the mistake of, even with good intentions, when you make the misguided mistake of identifying with a belief system and more so, moreover, with a group that identifies with that same belief system, now you're all collectively dissociating. Now the feelings of the person don't matter as much as... um as the beliefs of the person, which is how you arrive at entire movements thinking that by policing other people's words, they're actually making significant positive change in the world. That, of course, was Alison Gray, best friend of the podcast. The musician, magician, writer, and so much more is back on Post Woke, and you'll get to hear the entire conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back with best friend of the podcast, Allison Gray, for her. 13th appearance Woo! on Post Vogue. Allison, <laughs> <laughs> how are you? I'm great, Mickey. How are you? I'm great too. Always ready to have a fun and sometimes silly conversation with my best friend. Um, and what's, what's extra fun for me, not that, let me back up there. It's always fun for me to research and have conversations with the interesting people I have on my show. But I do have a page full of notes in front of me or sometimes a Word doc open. And I want to make sure I honor what they've done. But since you've been on so many times, the listeners know you and I know you so well. I'm happy to say that I have a blank page in front of me. And the only reason it's there is in case when you're talking, I want to take a note down or something to respond to. So I like the fact that, um, there's no notes and no limits, and the only expectation we have is to have an epic and fun conversation. Yes, I'm so excited. I, I love the I love blank slates. In fact, um, when you mentioned having a blank paper in front of you, what immediately came to mind was um, this revelation I had many years ago when I was cleaning out my house that um, I found a a drawer full not drawer um like a a uh, cabinet like section full of empty notebooks. I was not even conscious of the fact that whenever I saw a cute notebook or journal or something, 
I would buy it. And there, I had no real plan for any of these notebooks I would buy, except that something about seeing empty pages was really exciting to me. And it just got me going. Like, like, so I, I like unconsciously collected empty notebooks and was like stuffing them into this cabinet thinking Mm -hmm. maybe one day I'll use them. And like now, now that I am, um, I know myself better and I've developed my body of work more clearly and I'm all about potential. Now I understand that that subconscious collecting of empty pages was actually my desire to contemplate or, or to embody pure chaotic potential. And I wasn't aware of it yet. And so um, I think it's very interesting that we're, we're, we have this potential, this empty space uh, to start this podcast with, because that is what I'm all about. <laughs> I love that. And I also love blank notebooks. I I can't say, there have been times in my life where I've been excited about a blank Word document on my computer. When I think of all the books I've written and film screenplays, there is an excitement when you're sitting down to start something. But um, it's not it's not the same as physically holding a pen in your hand, looking down at a blank sheet of paper, typically with lines on it or not, and the tactile feeling of pressing the pen to the page and beginning. That, that um, no offense to word docs, and I think of all the millions of words I've written since I've had a computer, but I still am an old school uh, pen and paper guy. Me too. In fact, I used to have like the nicest handwriting and now it's like, it just, I lost my touch, I guess, cause I've been typing too much. So Same. yeah, but I don't, I don't mean to start our podcast on a, another bitter note about how technology is ruining us. Cause <laughs> I, I think we've belabored that point in That's many previous episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how we just, I just like slid right into it, but good catch, <laughs> good catch there. And being that we, um, we may, you know, we may have a blank slate in front of us, but we are speaking on the Saturday of Easter weekend, mm-hmm. and um, you and I have been speaking <clears throat> personally and have been writing on our Substack. Check the show notes for Allison's Substack um, about topics like um, good and evil, for example, mm-hmm. and um, that seems like a, a reasonable starting place for a a conversation on Easter weekend. Would you agree? Good and evil? Yeah. Yeah. I have so- <laughs> yeah, let's talk about evil. Um, <laughs> um I, I actually have so much to say about the topic of evil um and in the religious context as well. That adds an interesting uh filter to it. Um there's so many angles we could take this from, but I, I guess I would like to start for the sake of establishing um, who I am in relation to, to this conversation um, and where my perspective is coming from. Um, your listeners may know that I grew up in a fundamentalist Pentecostal church where the, the pastor was something of a cult leader and I was his goddaughter. Lucky me. So the pressure was really on for me to be this like perfect golden child. And I... I talk about this a lot, but it's, it it bears repeating. Um, There was to illustrate how much pressure was on me. um, My church actually attempted an exorcism on me once. So um, they 
for whatever reason, they chose to scapegoat me as some force of evil in the church, all the while making money off my singing voice. So I, I was like evil enough that they'd try to exercise demons out of me, but not so evil that I couldn't sing at the front of the church <laughs> every Sunday and make money for them. So um, strange. It was a very strange situation. But um, I say that all to establish that I have had quite a journey with understanding what evil really is um, because I myself was scarred by this religious uh, building, this, this congregation, with being treated as though I am evil incarnate. And um, if I were to, to guess as to why they um, attempted this exorcism on me, it was because I asked questions about what certain verses in the Bible meant and why there were certain laws and things like that. So um, fast forward, you know, I, I wandered away from Christianity because why on earth why, would I want to stay with it after ex being exposed to that side of Christianity, you know, the, the, the really dark and controlling and abusive side of it. So then um, a few years ago, I had my spiritual awakening. Um, I was in a dark night of the soul and really going through everything, a horrible breakup. I was isolated out in a city where I didn't really know anybody. And I was just so alone and so depressed and just had no hope really. And then I was sitting there on my bed meditating one day on what love is. And I opened my heart to reconsidering who Jesus Christ was for the first time since leaving the church um, about 10 years prior. And I felt this sort of light just shine through my being. It, I didn't even realize I had been so dark on the inside, dark with hatred and dark with bitterness and resentment and trauma and all of these things. And when the revelation of who Jesus was and what his message is came through, it really just lit me up from the inside out. And I haven't been the same since. And And it was like I got this huge download of I, what's a better word for download? Because I don't love the computer connotation of it. Like an influx, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I got this huge influx of spiritual revelations. And this is why I call it a spiritual awakening. In that moment, so many things were revealed to me about myself, about the world, about people, about why certain things in my past had happened. And one of the key revelations that I had was the nature of evil. So it was revealed to me in that moment that evil is essentially parasitic consciousness. It's a consciousness that it, it, it's, yeah, it's a force of consciousness that seeks to take from others without giving in return. It, you could think of it as being vampiric, stealing the life force from others and not contributing anything in return, not being reciprocal, because being reciprocal would require empathy and love and things like that. But, but the key thing here is that I was shown that evil is parasitic. And so um, now moving forward to our current world, and in particular, you and I, our, our world, so to speak, is, is largely comprised of, of people who consider themselves truth seekers. Um, I have become quite bothered by what is considered evil, or, or let me phrase it this way. Um, it seems that a lot of truth seekers think of themselves 
as being against evil in the world. And they see themselves as fighting the battle of good and evil, and they think they're on the side of good. However, by just observing their actions and their perspectives um, and who they go after and why they go after certain people, it has become pretty clear to me that the truth-seeking community uh, could do well to reevaluate what they believe evil is because if mm-hmm. it, it seems to me that because they don't have a clear understanding of what the nature of evil is what the qualities of evil are they end up seeing evil where there is none so for example you and i have plenty of examples of um people uh saying oh you you wore a certain color in your photo what what does that mean are you one of them and and things like that and what i really want to say and of course we're going to elaborate but i i need to hammer this point home what i want people to come away with from this conversation is evil is not a color evil is not a number evil is not a shape or a symbol or a label or any of these superficial markers. Evil is a force and it has qualities that we can observe and identify and and you know understand more deeply. And one of the qualities of evil is that it's deceptive. And so the trickiest thing about it is you can, if you're not careful and you're not conscious, you can become an agent of evil um, while thinking that you are on the side of good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it there because I've been going on. So I would love to hear you jump in. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to back up for a second, though, because I was thinking about your challenging yourself on the use of the word download. I mm. don't have a better word than influx, but I, I want to clarify, like what I was imagining when you said that, that you're right. Download is not um, a very humanistic choice of words, but I see it as you, what you were describing was knowledge and awareness and wisdom that was already inside of you. And what you were doing was liberating it or releasing it and like the, opening the floodgates. And mm. none of those work the way download work, but I like the idea of com- coming up with a, a better word than download, which just feels transhumanist. It just feels like a uh, uh, an accidental casual slip into the language of yes, evil. And Mm -hmm. I also wanted to quick, I'm going to try and do this as quickly as possible because you gave us great context on your, um, your entry point of evil. People that know my writing for many years know that you wouldn't see the word evil in my writing for most of the time that I wrote. And I sort of came out of a uh, influenced by Noam Chomsky. And I can remember being at one of his talks, and I think somebody even asked him in the Q&A, um, how come you don't talk about evil? And he gave an intellectual answer that it's it, these are decisions made by humans with facts that you need to know about that can make you help you challenge their future decisions. And it made sense to me intellectually, and I kind of stuck into not using evil as a term. I felt it took away from my credibility as a presenter of documentable facts. Mm. And I would tease it. I can remember doing talks where I would be preaching to the audience about how our choices can be guided by fear or love. So I wasn't saying good or evil, but I think I think I was thinking it. <laughs> and perhaps the whole pandemic situation freed me from that, where 
I firmly stand by the facts that I regularly share for the past three years about what's going on. But a combination of of that that liberation you're talking about, that that awareness, that releasing of the floodgates, the opening up of it, and the fact that I've reached a wider audience now that's more receptive to conversations about good and evil um, has freed me in a very, very comforting way that I can speak about good and evil comfortably without worrying that it's, that it's destroying my credibility as a, a writer of facts on many occasions. So, um, but... To come back to now to, to jump back in where you were, I totally I, I feel what you're talking about because I notice it when I'm interacting with people on my comment threads or in everyday life where their intentions are to expose the parasites that you mentioned. But when you're so inundated with with um, messages and programming that essentially comes from the parasite class, you can promote a version of evil unknowingly. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, you can start to question anyone else is who has a perception of evil that differs from yours and therefore say, oh, then they must be evil because now I'm getting better at discerning evil. Yes. And, and <laughs> Every time we think we're good at discerning evil, evil will morph and twist. And it's, it's, there's no finish line to this process. We have to constantly be on alert. But I, what, it, what upsets me on a regular basis is, is this new group of people that I've been in, interacting with, this, um, the infighting of, of anytime somebody seems to just raise their head above the crowd and say, hey, I have a new idea, instantly they're either – Illuminati or controlled opposition or oh, both. Oh God, yeah. And 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 it's almost like a, it is a self fulfilling. Well, let me say almost because it's not. It isn't fulfilled yet. If they're mm -hmm. on their way to a self fulfilled prophecy, where they will perpetually be the opposition, the the outsider, the one that's aggrieved and has this passionate cause to make the world better. And I believe they want to make the world better. And the same way that many, many, many of the leftists I once hung, once hung out with in the pre-woke days had sincere intentions, but they became paranoid mm -hmm. and they became too easily programmed because whether it's literally the FBI infiltrating the Black Panthers to destroy their movement material-wise on the inside, or it being more um, on a spiritual abstract level, the goal of evil is to divide the forces of good so they can't unite and defeat it. So I, I think that's kind of where you were coming from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with everything you're saying about like the truther movement. I've observed all those same things of this divisive and antagonistic attitude that so-called truth seekers develop against people on their own team. Because when you lose sight of what the nature of evil, what the qualities of evil are, then you start seeing innocence as evil. So um, I've seen so-called truth seekers um, literally just making public posts, accusing other people of like, some of the worst i don't even want to repeat these mm. things because then then the other thing is uh, you and i talking about this there are some people who are so paranoid that they'll hear us talking about this and be like oh well who are you trying to to defend who are you are you one of them like it just they are they have already decided that you're guilty but 
guilty of what? Of looking suspicious? Of making them uncomfortable <laughs> because you asked a certain question? Like, so in addition to the list I gave earlier of like evil is not a number, evil is not a color, evil is also not the uncomfortable feeling you get when somebody questions you. Evil is not the feeling of someone disagreeing with you. Um, evil is not the feeling of someone saying something you don't like. You know, so like you might think that by virtue of of someone having a different political worldview than you, they might be automatically evil because how on earth could they have those ideas um, unless they're bad? Because obviously if, if I'm good and I believe ABC and someone else believes XYZ, that can only mean one thing, that they're not good. Right. And and so, mm -hmm. again, we just have to the the one of the main tasks of anyone seeking the truth is to constantly remind themselves that they have the capacity to be deceived. And I'll bring it back to the point, point about parasites. Um, a lot of people don't know this about parasites, but they have mechanisms that allow them to live inside of their host's body undetected. So this adds to the, the qualities of evil, one of them being deception. So there are parasites who can enter the body um, of a host without the host knowing, and then they can stay in there and emit certain chemicals or um, other uh, means of manipulating the host that not only make the host unaware that there is a parasite inside them, but might actually make the host engage in behaviors that give them more parasites which is so insane. So, um, so for example, there are some parasites who are transmitted through certain foods. Let's say meat, for example. Meat gives you more parasites than anything. Um, and it's been shown that some of the parasites you get from eating meat make you crave meat even more. So imagine you have a parasite in you that's making you crave meat. You don't know why you want meat. You, you think it's normal to want meat. Our whole culture wants it all the time. Our, our culture is built on this. Um, and then you you think these thoughts are your own because you have been deceived by the parasite who makes you think that these thoughts are original and these thoughts are yours and these thoughts are normal. And so uh, to apply this metaphorically um, to humans and their memes, their I ideologies, uh, we have to remember that sometimes we think our thoughts are our own, but they're not. And sometimes we think our behaviors are okay or good but we have absorbed the evil into ourselves and now it's distorting our deception of of truth and reality itself excellent yes i agree like you could talk about the literal the the uh the biological example that you gave but metaphorically spiritually we we absorb so much of this that we um distort our own perception um when you said before oh, people will hear what we're talking about and then think we're guilty. And you say guilty of what? Lately, I feel what, what I'm, no one's used these words, but what I'm being accused of being guilty of is actually offering optimism, hope, or positivity. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I, if, if, if I want to, it, I, and I'm not doing this on purpose, but if I wanted to provoke the most negative possible comments, I would post a, a, a make a post that talks about the possibilities of change and improvement and not not being um, 
stuck going to the Great Reset, for example, then the examples, the, the responses I'll get will be just a litany of, of usually personal stories of how terrible humans have been to this person who's writing it and how humans are terrible and that, that I'm without saying it, that I'm kind of naive. And so what I'm guilty of uh, lately, uh, it seems like, is being naive. And I can't understand, I genuinely cannot understand what they're getting out of it unless I look at it through the lens that you just described, where they can't understand what they're getting out of it either. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean to say that we don't, again, to to paraphrase what you just said, every single one of us is capable of being deceived and will be deceived again, probably in the very near future. Yeah. So, so let me just clarify, neither one of us is saying that we're, we've got anything um, figured out in this long-term sense, but we are pulling back and taking a more detached view and to look at it through the lens of parasites, um, again, speaking literally and metaphorically, I think is very helpful and to think about how to cleanse the literal or metaphorical parasites out of our system in order to have a better sense of that these are my thoughts where I stand right now, not thoughts that have been manipulated for me to believe um, I that I will die for them and that I will lose friendships over these thoughts when in reality, they're just, they've almost literally been implanted into our head by forces of evil. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, one more point I want to make about uh, one way this manifests in in truth or communities, uh, or actually any, any community that identifies with their ideology and thinks mm-hmm. of themselves as being on some higher mission of goodness. Um, for example, uh, race rhetoric, right? I see this all the time. And, and this is why even though I'm a woman of color, I don't, I don't fucks with uh, race rhetoric anymore. It, it just bothers me so much. I've had enough. Um, what I see is people thinking that they're doing the work of anti-racism and making the world better. They'll go around policing other people's language and they think that that makes them anti-racist um, or that it's going to somehow end racism. And we get so far removed from the reality of racism being structural inequality, like kids not having food to eat in their schools, kids not getting equal education because of their zip code, because of the color of their skin, um, people getting rejected from jobs. Like, like we're talking actual resources being taken away from communities based on superficial markers of, of identity. And, and the, the liberal, um, solution to this is to maintain a list in their heads of words they're not allowed to say. And that's it. That's their work. That's what they think is eradicating racism from their psyche. Like, and then I I actually have a great story about this since we wanted to keep things lighthearted. I I need to tell this story about something that happened in Seattle. Okay. Please do. (laughs) Because this just is perfectly a perfect example of how People can be the thing that they're fighting against and not even realize it, even though it's so bloody obvious. Um, I was in Seattle. So many things happen in Seattle. And I think that's why it was conducive to me having a spiritual awakening out there. It just I hit some boiling point or something with like nonsense. (laughs) Um, I was out there. I needed a place to live real fast. So I was looking on Craigslist everywhere I could think of of where to find housing. And I found a listing that looked affordable. 
I went to to talk with the woman there. She gave me a tour of the house, whatever, and then um, sat me down to have like a talk about um, the rules of the house. Okay, fine. So she said, if you're going to live here, by the way, she's white and all the roommates are white. So I'm a brown woman for anyone who doesn't know what I look like. Um, she sits me down and she's like, if you're going to live here, you are making an agreement to do at least one hour of anti-racist work every week. So she gave me an example of how she gathers her friends in the living room um, on Saturdays and they call some hotline or call some congressional representative and they talk about race related bills or something like that. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, that's. I, I'm not going to say no to doing community work like that. Like, sure. So that sounded reasonable to me. But then um, then she said, just a heads up, like, I've had a lot of white people come in here and say that they want to live here. But I've been like secretly like giving priority to brown femmes. So I just want you to know you would have an excellent chance of of getting the room in this house. Um, I would prioritize you over the other applicants. And she said that like she thought that she was like i mean it was such a white savior mentality i and like you know i was desperate for a house so i even though that rubbed me the wrong way like you're gonna give me priority because of my skin color not because of my character or like how responsible i am as a person like and she thought that that was anti-racist making a judgment of me based on my skin color she she thought that she was being not racist but literally engaging in racism as she was doing it but it gets better okay <laughs> so i was like okay thank you like i i didn't really know how to respond to that and then we kept talking and and um something she said something and i casually mentioned well all i really need is a private room and a wi-fi connection because i work from home she said you work from home i said yeah she said do you have to work from home can you work at like a cafe or something i was like why she said well um i am a proud kinkster i like to have loud kinky sex i literally schedule it for when the other roommates are away at their nine to five jobs but if you work from home i am not comfortable with that you are going to need to work somewhere else other than the house while i have my appointments 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 <laughs> uh, and i'm i mean mickey i'm my jaw is hanging i'm like like so you you set it all up that you're this angelic anti-racist and then the second you get the chance to tell a brown woman that her job her livelihood is less important than you having sex when you want to have sex <laughs> you jump on the opportunity to tell me i can't use the room that i'm paying for <laughs> like that's fucking racist <laughs> and i'm i'm sitting there like this can't be real like every seattle stereotype has come to life in this woman and she probably thinks she's this like radical revolutionary anti-racist and like so i just i said oh i maybe i could work that out sure and then i she i never answered her calls after that she said i had you know she would give the room to me and i just ignored her i was like i'm not living with this crazy woman so oh. so um but point of that is again i need to emphasize that evil or the things that we consider evil or societal ills like racism like misogyny um they have qualities the qualities being um I mean, you, you can name them. There's there's many. It's complex. But for example, part of, of evil is thinking that you are superior to others and that therefore you can make decisions about their lives that affect them negatively. And it does because it doesn't affect you. 
um, you don't really care. Like you don't have empathy. So evil lacks empathy. Evil has a superiority complex. Evil um, is uh, uh, conquesting and colonizing and things like that. And and so ironically, in a lot of goody two shoes movements uh, or justice movements, um, there's this sense that people have that because they are aware that evil exists, that automatically that makes them immune to ever carrying out the agenda of evil. But it's not enough to simply know that evil exists. You must also do the terrifying, painful work of admitting that evil can and might currently be working through you as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. I want to respond to that last point, but I was laughing inside my head thinking that if I lived in that setting, going back to the one hour a week, like her, she's telling, she's telling a Brown woman that you have to spend one hour a week <laughs> doing anti-racist work. Like, but I was thinking she should be in my room for me. Like, there you go. Yeah. She should give you the room for I'm free kidding. reparations. Uh, but I mean, like I would just, if, if that, I would just tell her, well, one hour a week, I go to the supermarket and peel the Aunt Jemima labels off the syrup <laughs> bottles. Does that, does that count? Because it's about as effective as what they're doing. In fact, it's probably more effective. But, <laughs> but oh my God. to get to get to that last point you made of evil working through them, it's an excellent. I didn't realize it at the time, but what eventually pushed me out of the realm of activism, which would be considered left activism. And just for clarity, because people, when you say left activism in 2023, people justifiably can get some horrendous. Um, images in their mind, conjure up some, you know, as we're recording this just this morning, I saw videos of, of uh, so-called trans activists attacking this um, female swimmer because she was complaining that men are claiming to be women. And it was, it was violent. It was ugly. I will say that it wasn't so much like that when I was doing left activism, but when you just brought the point up, you did, I'm thinking that the intentions were even if they were wrong about, for example, climate change, the intention of trying to save the environment, quote unquote, was coming from a place of of at least virtue signaling, if not sincere desire to do something good for the planet. And what better place for evil to work its evil where if these naive, sometimes well-intentioned people, if they can get the script flipped on them, that they're doing stuff like that woman in Seattle did right in front of your eyes, that they now they now make good intentions and caring about the earth look like insanity. When there is no downside to saying, you know what, corporations shouldn't be putting GMOs and pollutants out there for us to inhale and, and plastics that impact um, children in schools, et cetera, et cetera. These aren't um, woke ideology movements. These are, these are human concerns about how we've reached a point where human beings are at, at risk. But the ones who represent these movements have been infiltrated literally or spiritually in the mm. sense that they have chosen madness like that woman in Seattle. And the vast majority of people who interact with someone like that then identify that whole entire concept. Anyone who talks about ecology or environmentalism is just 
certifiably insane, if not evil. And it, it's, it is that evil genius aspect where things that do need to change have been so tainted by the, the, the representatives of it that good, other good-minded people want nothing to do with that movement because they don't want anything to do with the people who represent it. And you just look at it and say, what, what a tangled web that the evil forces have uh, created in which no, and then and on top of that, of course, algorithms that push us into, into small groups, but all of it is pushing us into little groups and echo chambers because we just want to feel safe and we want to feel sane. So to be around people that will reassure us that everything you're thinking is is truthful and good and logical is seems like a, a smart move, like a self-loving choice. But in the long run, it just puts we are voluntarily putting ourselves into these hive minds and not exposing ourselves to ideas that could expand on ideas of on concepts of goodness and make us better people. Oh man, I have so much to say about <laughs> that. I don't even know where to start. Um on the topic of um the group and and getting together with other groups like uh, I, yeah there there's a very interesting way that evil can move through an entire group collectively um and i i am i haven't taken the time to develop what i'm about to say so i'm just kind of saying this on a hunch but i suspect that it's when people identify with ideology that they become most susceptible to um, the force of evil working through them because in the, it, it, like in my unminding work, I, I'm always illustrating to people that what happens when you identify with an ideology, such as a label like feminist or anti-racist or whatever your political affiliation might be or religious affiliation, as soon as you entangle your identity, your, your sense of self with a set of beliefs that causes dissociation from your true self because you in a live being with a beating heart you are not a belief system you're not an idea you're not a vis a, a, a vapory wisp of of consciousness okay you are flesh and blood you are a person with feelings and emotions and and ideology doesn't um doesn't account for that it doesn't have the capacity to to humanize people because it's just ideas so when you make the mistake of even with good intentions when you make the misguided mistake of identifying with a belief system and more so moreover with a group that identifies with that same belief system now you're all collectively dissociating now the feelings of the person don't matter as much as um as the beliefs of the person, which is how you arrive at entire movements thinking that by policing other people's words, they're actually making significant positive change in the world. But people are not words. People are behaviors. So so I'm to also to tie in the story I told earlier about my church. I, I do believe part of the reason I got pulled up to the front of the church for an exorcism, which honestly felt very similar to how I've been ostracized by the groups I used to belong to, like radical feminism and veganism. Um, in my church, I had started dressing in a lot of black. And that, that's just my style. I love black. I look great in it. And um, they this, I guess, was the final straw for them. Like not only had I been questioning the Bible, which made them uncomfortable, but now I was dressing in a way that was very easy 
to scapegoat me for like, oh, now she even looks evil. Like, so, so that happened. And then in the radical feminist and vegan movements, I started asking too many questions and, and you experienced this too with veganism. Um, and then suddenly people were treating us like we had killed someone. And even though we hadn't, here's why people think that way when their ideology is attacked. When you put your whole self into a belief system and then that belief system gets attacked, it feels like yourself is getting attacked. That is the danger of ideological identification. So so in your mind, it becomes fair then if someone asks a question that that destabilizes your belief system, it feels like a knife attack. And then you feel justified literally attacking them with a knife. And like we see this all the time at protests where there are counter protesters who get punched in the face by the opposition and the opposition thinks it's justifiable to cause physical harm in response to psychological harm or not even harm, just a challenge. So um, I don't know how I got into this. Uh, uh, I'm kind of saying a lot of things at once here, but again, just kind of hammering the point home that um, evil is behaviors like uh, something I've always wanted to say to these groups that come against me so hard once I question them is, have I harmed someone? Like, I'm asking questions and the sh- questions are uncomfortable. I get that. But did I kill someone? Did I assault someone? Did I steal from someone? You know, these basic commandments of what not to do to other people. Like, did I do something that actually harmed another human being, which would be evil behavior? No. So why am I getting treated like I'm evil? And I think it's for all the reasons I just outlined before about disassociation from from the self. I I couldn't agree more. No, you, you you alluded for a second there, like you were you were getting off track. But in my mind, you were right on track there because Thank you. what what I would want. I mean, let me let me backtrack. I'll first phrase it from my own perspective. These are the type of valuable refreshers and reminders that we need on a regular basis. But as for listeners to this podcast, what I would want for them is to take to heart the examples you just gave there and interrogate yourself not in a in a self-hating way not not even in a judgmental way in the, in using judgmental as a pejorative um in the sense of asking yourself on a regular basis have i become too identified with an ideology and mm. therefore unable to sustain challenges questions and sustain and maintain an open mind i don't see how that could be perceived as anything but a positive step. Although we, as we given examples and just look around, it's a regular, you know, we live in a world where, where words are considered violence in many yeah. cases, more than actual physical yes, violence. And exactly. so that topsy turvy, that, that, uh, you know, it's overused um, adjective, but accurate Orwellian use of words. There is something that we have to confront, but I, I really appreciate what you said, and it's it's um and you do look great in black and thank you. And what's what's interesting is while you were talking there, there were several phrases that you made that me as the podcaster was thinking, 
oh, any one of these could be the opening tease of this episode. <laughs> the way I open so someone, something that you said in the last eight minutes or so will be the opening tease. But um, as we move forward into sort of wrapping up and again, keeping in mind that this is Easter weekend, I'm going to um, pose something to you and then you could finish up with the final thought here. Okay. I am... Um, this is off the top of my head, so so there's no there's no plan here, but it just we've been talking a lot about evil and confronting evil, and I was thinking of a quote from the saint Fred Rogers, Mister Rogers, uh -huh. who said, "The only thing." Let me just back up to Fred Rogers. In a before we got too smart for our own good, he would be called he would be deemed a saint. You know, if he in the past he would be undoubtedly people would be living amongst him in a village and consider him to be a saint. But Aww. Fred Rogers said the only thing evil cannot stand is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And we are celebrating um now people will probably hear this on the Monday after Easter, but you and I are recording this on the Saturday before. So somewhere in here, we are marking a day where a dying man said, now following up on the only thing evil can't stand is forgiveness, a dying man said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. So, uh, so wrap up this podcast any way you see fit riffing off of those two quotes. Yes. Oh, my God. That's I have taken so much comfort in that phrase, in, in that Bible verse, because um, when I'm interacting with people who I've had, um, you know, unfortunate patterns with like family members and things like that. And I know that they just aren't aware of why they do certain things, why they feel a certain way. I can see now the unconsciousness that drives their behavior. And I understand now what is meant by they know not what they do. So I've been able to learn from that, that whenever I feel hurt by something someone does to me in the blindness of unconsciousness, it's not personal. They are literally like automatons who are just following a script and they don't know that they are. And that's so I, I can't, you know, the, that's another thing about evil is because it is largely unconscious in most people. And I would dare say that even even sadistic people who are aware that they're doing evil and they get some sort of gleeful thrill out of it. I would argue that in a lot of cases, they don't even know um, why they're doing what they're doing or or, or that they're evil. Um, and so, again, it just is is so unconscious, this tendency towards um, towards evil that when you step into goodness, I know this is hard to hear, but this was part of my that big spiritual influx I mentioned earlier. Part of what I was taught in that moment was that because people are not conscious, there's no point in holding it against them. Because they literally don't know. They don't know. And and the way to help them to know is to show them what else is possible. Now, this goes back to potential. You know, the thing about unconscious behaviors is that they're pattern-based. And when anyone does anything repetitively, it becomes so ingrained that it becomes like an autopilot behavior. They're not aware that they're doing it. And so the way to break a pattern is to introduce chaotic potential into it. And so what does chaotic potential look like? It looks like forgiving someone instead of going back and forth, trying to win the fight with them, just going tit for tat. Forgiveness is a pattern breaker. It 
it illuminates the situation in a way that gives someone lost in the clutches of evil the chance to see what they're doing, the chance to self-reflect, and the chance to act differently. And that's why it's so important to hold that frequency of love, of goodness, of forgiveness, because it breaks all those dark patterns that, that cause people to act in evil ways unknowingly. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I... I'm going to resist the urge to riff off of that for the next uh -huh. two hours because you will you will come back many more times, of course. But I do want to urge everyone um, to check the show notes to find links for Allison's mind expanding expanding music and mind expanding writing. Um, her musical moniker is "When Humans Had Wings," and she can be found at Substack and the link um, in the show notes. So, Allison. As always, best friend, thank you for a wonderful conversation. And I am already looking forward to your next appearance on Post Woke. I am beaming from ear to ear. I, I love this whole conversation. Thank you so much for having me on and making space for this. And and I love you and I love your listeners. And uh, just thank you. Thank you. And I love you too. Yay. <laughs> I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because Post Woke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Post Woke is also a Substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you are getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, Check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and Substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. I'm going to say thank you again to my best friend, Allison Gray. Um, and thank you to all of you for tuning in as always. It's deeply appreciated. And I trust that many of you will put some of Allison's suggestions into action upon hearing this. I, I challenge you to find ways to introduce a positive mindset and find optimistic angles in all of your interactions, whether it's in real life or online. And I don't just mean in the comment threads on my Substack, although that would be awesome. Um, I'm going to end with a quote from Yoko Ono, the very underrated and unfairly judged Yoko Ono, who suggested, try to say nothing negative about anybody for three days, for 45 days, for three months, and see what happens to your life. 
In other words, keep your guard up. <laughs>